If police obtain a warrant to search your phone, are you required to tell law enforcement the password to access it? I'll explain. Brian Koberger's attorney returned to the scene of the crime. It's always the defendant's own words that come back in the end. And usually it comes from uh, jail calls. Let me give an example. Is this attempted murder? If it was, why did it take two years to charge the man? Have you ever thought, if this person doesn't shut up, I will fill in the blank? Well, a mom in Indiana did. Porch pirates. Well, if it's on the porch, it must be free, right? And then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Hi, lawyer. Lawyer. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can always listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right. December 15th, 2023. Can you believe the year is almost over? Two weeks to go. Anyway, let's go ahead and open the record for the docket today. And first, if police obtain a search warrant of your cell phone, are you required to tell law enforcement the password to access it? I would say no. And the Utah Supreme Court ruled Thursday that they agree with me. And they say that under the United States Constitution's Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination, you do not have to help law enforcement access your phone or other electronic device, even if they have a judge's order or permission to do so. Now, nearly two years after this case uh, first heard arguments, um, with attorneys rehashing those arguments in March, apparently, because there were some new justices that joined the bench, the court agreed with the Utah Court of Appeals in a 2021 decision, and they reversed the conviction of a man convicted of aggravated assault, kidnapping, and robbery. The man is a guy by the name of Alfonso Valdez, and he was arrested for allegedly kidnapping and assaulting his girlfriend. And then police took his cell phone from his pocket, as they always do, and detectives got a warrant. But they couldn't crack the uh, swipe code to sift through the phone's contents. Of course, they always do that. Just a little practice pointer. They'll also try to keep it powered up so they can use the little thing called gray key. And then they'll use Celebrite to download everything there. Pretty much not accurate because if you do it, use gray key once, you don't get the same result if you do it again with gray key. Just saying, have a little bit of experience in litigating that stuff. Anyway, the uh, officer asked Mr. Valdez to unlock the phone. And he said, yeah, I don't think so. And um, law enforcement kept trying to access the phone. Prosecutors later at trial relied on testimony from the detective about Valdez's decision not to cooperate with the police. Well, I, I, this is a no-brainer. The prosecutor cannot, cannot comment on the defendant's silence in any way whatsoever. So the prosecutors, of course, overstepping their bounds and um, made their closing argument saying that, you know, that this... Uh, uh, resulted in the lack of evidence and it undermined his, his defense. Are you kidding me? That's also burden shifting. That prosecutor should be fired. Anyway, needless to say, a jury convicted Mr. Valdez and he ultimately appealed. And now the state's two highest courts reasoned that Valdez's agreement to tell law enforcement his password could have amounted to self-incrimination. You think so? Yeah and he has a constitutional right not to say a word. The court noted, we agree with the Court of Appeals that the verbally providing a cell phone passcode is a 
testimonial communication under the Fifth Amendment. Now, of course, even though the court unanimously agreed, and obviously some little defense attorney down there at the trial court level asserted these issues, because they're usually the ones that spot these issues, right? Anyway, what did the attorney general's office do? Yeah, the state's attorneys asserted that Mr. Valdez's refusal to share his swipe code was not protected under the Fifth Amendment because they said it could be compared to providing officers with a key, which was not um, semantic. Now, building off of that contention, the state said a passcode wouldn't have given police any meaningful information except what they already knew, that the phone belonged to Valdez. Oh, this attorneys are such an idiot. No, when they get into the phone, they're probably going to find incriminating evidence. And who knows what else they're going to find? Last time I heard the Fifth Amendment, right to self-incrimination. Oh, let's not get into the whole Fourth Amendment issue as well, right? Search and seizures, your phone, how much privacy? I don't care how people say, I have nothing to hide. You can look through my phone. Really? You want to bring your phone over here and me? I'll start scrolling through it and we'll start putting all your contents on the internet you probably wouldn't like that. Why? Because you have an expectation of privacy. Thank goodness the Supreme Court there in Utah dismissed the uh, points by the uh, prosecutor and said, um, in their opinion here, we have a verbal communication that would have explicitly communication, that would have explicitly communicated information from Valdez's mind. Now, a spokesperson for the Utah Attorney General's office uh, stated that uh, obviously they're disappointed in the court's ruling and it's evaluating their further options. Well, obviously those further options would be to take it to the United States Supreme Court because, well, we must have opportunity to get into anyone's phone for any reason. How dare the courts prohibit that conduct? It's like they're reading the Constitution or something, right? Well, that's pretty much what the uh, prosecutors said. And ladies and gentlemen, I've said this, I know I've said it on a live, and I'll say it here. Nobody in the government gets up and says, you know what? I think that we should give more freedom to the people. They just don't do it. What do they do? Every day, the government gets up and says, hey, somebody is asserting that we can't do this. How do we get around those limitations put into the Constitution limitations on the government, the first 10 amendments, remember, read them, Constitution matters. Take a look at that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, everybody in government gets up and tries to get around all those limitations. They never say, you know what, that goes just a little too far. They always try to rationalize it, they always try to justify it, and guess what? Normally the courts go along with it. Next on the docket, Brian Koberger's attorneys return to the scene of the crime. That's right, his defense attorneys will visit the scene where the four college students were brutally murdered in the final days before it's demolished. Now, the University of Idaho, which purchased or was given the property following the murders, said that it would begin to demolish the house at 7 a.m. on December 28th after Koberger's defense team accessed it for one final time. As you may recall, prosecutors and Koberger's defense counsel originally had no objection to the home's demolition, which was initially announced back in February. Then the University of Idaho initially said that it had uh, wanted to demolish the home before the start of the 2023 fall semester. Still, it delayed plans because of the 
trial's scheduled start date. And so the school officials put out a statement saying that the Koberger's defense team would access the house on King Road on December 14th and 15th, and that the defense indicated they want to take photographs and measurements and possibly gather drone footage of the residents. Thought they already did that. Anyway, uh, some people that are opposed to the move to demolish the house believe that it should remain standing until jurors have a chance to see it. Now, I've mentioned this before. I can only think of uh, two cases off the top of my head. One is the O.J. Simpson matter uh, where the jurors went to the crime scene. And then we had the um, South Carolina case of Alec Murdoch, where the jurors actually went to Moselle. I can tell you in my nearly 30 years of practicing law, never done a crime scene visit with a jury. Why? Most jurors want to do their duty, and they'll do it dutifully, and go home. Guess what? The court wants to do that. When you start going to crime scenes, you have to worry about the jury receiving some sort of evidence other than what's been presented in the case through legal and competent evidence that comes through witnesses on the stand. And I cannot think of a circumstance where that cannot be documented through video in today's day, uh, photographs, and obviously the descriptions of individuals. So I don't think that that's necessarily a, uh, a good argument anyway. So the university has announced that they're going to create a healing garden and a memorial on the campus in memory of the four students. Next, it's always the defendant's own words that come back and bite them in the end. Look at old Sam Bankman Freed. Look at any of the defendants that get convicted at trial. They do. Well, remember Charlie Adelson? I mean, he was just sentenced last week to uh, uh, actually Monday for uh, life in prison without the possibility of parole for arranging the murder of his former brother-in-law, the uh, FSU law professor, Dan Markle. Well, days after his conviction, his mother, Donna, was also arrested going uh, to the airport, specifically the Miami International Airport, where she was bound to board a flight to Vietnam via Dubai, both countries where they don't have the best extradition uh, efforts to uh, get people back here to the United States. Anyway, uh, apparently they're between Charlie's conviction on November 6th and her arrest on November 13th, the two talked for about 35 hours on the phone. Okay? Big no-no. And let me tell you, every client we get, and we put it in letters to our clients, don't talk to anyone about the facts of your case on the phone. Guess why? The prosecutors are listening. Okay? In the old days, it was tough to get recordings of the phone. Now it's like downloading music to your phone. It's super simple. They put in a password and they download it. Heck, most prosecutors can do it from their office right now. Now, clients never, ever, ever believe me. And guess what I always get? A phone download of all the phone calls of somebody in custody. And what is it? It's them talking about the facts of their case. Everything you told them not to do. Anyway. The prosecutors alleged that at the time of Donna's arrest, that during some of those calls, uh, she talked about making plans to leave the country because they knew they were listening to the phone calls. And uh, many of the uh, phone calls are devoted to uh, Charlie's analysis of, of his case, actually congratulating himself on what he thought was a job well done when he testified in his own defense. Old Charlie told his mom that uh, his attorneys told him, if I were to give you a score, I think it was 95, and that you came across fantastic. 
that was in the hours before closing argument and the verdict where uh, he said that he fully believed he would be walking out of the courthouse. He stated he was literally on cloud nine over the weekend. He's like, I'm going to see my son. I'm going to get out. I can't wait to be on my boat. I can't wait to see my son. I can't, I've decided at what restaurant I wanted to go to. Charlie said that he had given away his food, the socks and long sleeve shirts to friends he had made behind bars before the verdict came in because he was so convinced that he was going to be acquitted. Both Charlie and Donna pointed to the failures with the jury makeup as part of the reason why he got convicted, noting that their friends had uh, predicted Charlie's acquittal, right? Donna, this is, this is from intelligent people. That's my problem. Charlie said, that's the catch. <laughs> the jury of my peers was not there. Prosecutors had obviously aimed to portray Charlie and his uh, family from South Florida as looking down upon the people who live up in uh, Tallahassee where the victim was living and uh, the trial was held. Now, he dis Charlie described the jury as grouping them was uh, sympathetic to the prosecutors. He said there were five black women on the jury, one black guy that was a sergeant, one kind of a redneck looking a little bit, three guys that looked like they were inbred, that were like out of... Uh, shape, 30 years old, like they never had a girl in their life. Well, Charlie, 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 Charlie. Yes, that can't be used against you, but what does it show? It shows the world, your arrogance, your arrogance, and why possibly you thought you could get away with murder because you think you're smarter than everybody else. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. And now we have Charlie's own words. What do you think about him? Next, mercy killing or attempted murder? So Dwayne McCullough was charged this Wednesday with attempted murder after allegedly trying to choke his wife, Andrea Lee McCullough, while she was in hospice back in 2020, according to the arrest affidavit. Now, according to the arrest affidavit, witnesses claimed that uh, Dwayne choked the victim in an attempt to kill her to ease her suffering while they were with her during her terminal cancer um, at a hospice care center. Well, the police did what they were supposed to do. They spoke with Mr. Duane, who said he admitted to placing his hands over the victim's neck, his wife's neck, in an attempt to ease her suffering. He also allegedly said that his actions were stopped by her family members that were present at the time who pulled him off and admitted that he would do this again because he loved his wife. Now, his wife died from terminal breast cancer the day after the alleged incident, which occurred on December 21st, 2021. The warrant issued for Dwayne's arrest, though it's unknown why the warrant charges issued two years later um, after her death. Now, if convicted, he faces up to life in prison. Now, in a GoFundMe post created by the victim's son, her son wrote that his mom had been diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma breast cancer. And after entering remission, the cancer returned, becoming metastatic breast cancer, which spread to her brain, lungs, neck, and liver. The uh, post notes that the affected part of her neck made it difficult for her to fully use her right hand and arm to complete daily tasks. And then on December 14th of 2021, her son said she had radiation in October and 3,600 milligrams of chemotherapy daily for two weeks with one week off. The son also noted that by then, she had radiation burns that caused open sores and blisters in her throat, making it impossible to eat anything other than a shake. So let me know, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I get it. You, you, you can't go around killing people that are alive, even if they're in hospice care. 
And if anyone's ever seen anybody in a hospice care, it is one of the worst things you will ever, ever see. And you simply want to make the pain and the suffering stop. It's a little odd though. I'm curious to see, we're gonna follow this story because I wanna know why it took two years if this was such a horrible crime. Why did it take two years? Let me know your thoughts. Mercy killing or attempted murder? Next, she wouldn't stop talking. Remember I said in the intro, have you ever said if this person doesn't stop talking, I would do blank? Well, this woman did. A mom did. A 68-year-old mom was arrested on suspicion of murder this week for allegedly shooting and killing her daughter because she wouldn't stop talking. So on December 10th, shortly before midnight, uh, the South Bend police uh, there in Indiana were called to a residence. When they arrived, they found 52-year-old Zawandra Lee deceased after sustaining apparent gunshot wounds. Zawandra Lee's mother, Shirley Lee, um, has booked into the jail for her death. She's been charged with murder and voluntary manslaughter with a firearm enhancement. Now, Shirley Lee allegedly called her son and told him that she'd killed her daughter. And uh, the son called police who then went to the home. And when the officers went inside, they found the silver revolver sitting near the daughter's body. Now, the affidavit says the detectives left her alone inside an interview room. What do I say? It's always the defendant's own words to get them. That's right. Where she'd made comments such as, I did that to my child. I told her to stop talking, but she would not stop talking. Well, after being advised of her rights, Shirley Lee reportedly also told the detectives that Lee had moved in with her about three months ago and that the two got into a verbal argument. Shirley Lee said that uh, her daughter would not leave her alone. And uh, Shirley Lee allegedly went to her room and shut the door but, and shut the door in Zawandra's face two times because she was angry and wanted to calm down. Shirley Lee then opened the door when she thought Zawandra didn't have any more to say, but then she got angry. Shirley Lee said she grabbed her handgun and then shot her daughter because she wouldn't stop talking. Anyway, I uh, didn't see any weapon on her daughter at the time of the argument, which probably eliminates self-defense. Needless to say, Miss Lee is being held in custody without a bond. We brought you the story yesterday of the shoplifters that thought since it was on sale, it was practically free, or it should have been, maybe at least a misdemeanor. Well, porch pirates have the same mentality. If it's on the porch, it must be free. It must be abandoned, right? So a porch pirate was caught on camera. And, you know, maybe porch pirates should be our dumb criminals of the day simply for the fact that... Um, doesn't everybody have a ring camera on their doorstep? And if you're a porch pirate, wouldn't you go to a house that didn't have a ring camera? Just, just something to think about. Anyway, this uh, porch pirate was caught on camera stealing Amazon packages from homes before admitting to police that she planned to re-gift those items to Christmas. Now, Kensley Mott was arrested after surveillance footage captured her allegedly walking up to the porch, taking numerous items of Amazon boxes and loading them into a red pickup. Mott allegedly followed an Amazon truck on Monday afternoon and promptly stole the packages after they were delivered to residents' porches. Upon her arrest, Mott confessed to the thefts and told authorities that she intended to re-gift the stolen items. Needless to say, the uh, victims of the theft uh, video uh, surveillance uh, 
captured Ms. Mott uh, walking up and uh, taking the boxes. A detective identified uh, Ms. Mott based upon her appearance in the footage and confirmed that she worked at the Hungry Howie's Pizza Joint and they went to that residence and arrested her. Now, I really think the uh, argument that Ms. Mott should be making is, is maybe she has even a civil action against Amazon. I mean, it's not her fault that Amazon would take these perfectly good packages and put them on a doorstep unattended, right? They're practically begging her to take the packages. And obviously it's not Ms. Mott's fault. It must be Amazon's fault, or maybe even the homeowner. And I think there'll probably be some attorney out there that'll say, you are inflicting emotional distress upon Ms. Mott for putting those packages out there and she just couldn't simply resist. How dare you? Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's kind of the way the world is coming or going to. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. California woman got herself into a legal tryst while trying to leave the state of Texas. She apparently got an Uber to take her to the airport, and the uh, woman's name is Nusha Afkami, and she is accused of one count of unauthorized use of a motor vehicle and uh, credit or debit card abuse. So our dumb criminal of the day, who uh, hails from Orange County, California, was picked up at a hotel by an Uber driver about 12.28 a.m. in the morning. And the final destination on that Uber drive was the Austin International Airport. But apparently, according to the rideshare driver, who's not been identified, our dumb criminal grew increasingly upset at the speed that the driver was going, and the dumb criminal was telling the driver that she was going too slow. The uh, defendant was uh, allegedly frustrated that the uh, ride to the airport was simply taking too long. At one point, our dumb criminal grabbed the Uber driver's phone from her hand and threw it out the window somewhere along the uh, thoroughfare there on the way to the airport. Then when the driver stopped her car and went to retrieve her phone, the defendant got out of the passenger seat, hopped behind the wheel and drove away, leaving the Uber driver stranded on the road. Well, police also alleged that uh, our dumb criminal used the driver's credit card to purchase some $120 worth of items at a store at the Austin airport. The driver was also able to uh, collect her phone from the side of the road and quickly called the police. Needless to say, uh, our dumb criminal admitted to taking the car, but appeared to frame it more of as a temporary use of a vehicle, like almost an agreement between the Uber driver and our dumb criminal. Our dumb criminal told the officers that she uh, needed to get to the airport, so I'm gonna take your car and I'm gonna drop it off there at Southwest Airlines. Needless to say, the police found the uh, Chevy Cruze near the terminal, and police also say with the items purchased with the Uber driver's card that were in our dumb criminal's possession at the time of arrest that the airport purchases included candy and that commemorative shot glass. There you go. Our dumb criminal of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're traveling over the holidays next week, hey, take your time. Take a deep breath. You'll get there. Let the Uber driver do their job. Get you there safely. Same thing with all those pilots as well that are going to be flying you. Don't try to commandeer the plane. Don't do it unless you know how to fly it. But even then, don't do it. And remember, don't take those mushrooms either, particularly if you're going to be flying the airplane. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for watching, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. And remember, the Constitution matters. Mm -hmm.